How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome to another episode of Hawaii Football Final here at KHON2.com or anywhere you get your podcast. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, it's old school, it's new school, former University of Hawaii player and coach, 11-year NFL veteran Rich Miano, along with former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman, 2016 Ben Yee Award winner, R.J. Hollis. And fellas, without a doubt, the most disappointing, demoralizing, and deficient game of the season for the University of Hawaii football team took place this past weekend as the Rainbow Warriors were dominated in New Mexico. That game took place in Albuquerque. 42-21 to was the final in a game that really didn't even seem that close. A major step back for the Bows as UH falls to 2-6 and six overall. 0-3 in the Mountain West Conference. Hawaii now the only team in the Mountain West Conference without an MWC win for the season and responsible now for New Mexico to be able to snap a 14-game conference skid and even bigger than that, a 20-game home losing streak in conference that dates back to 2017. So guys, this week, let's get straight into it. We've talked about it before that UH has been playing kind of, uh, you know, patching a hole on a boat. And each time that they patched up that hole, a new one would pop up. But Rich, in this game, I mean, this was like a dam breaking. I mean, this thing just shipwrecked, didn't it? Yeah, and, you know, my kind of word for the day, Rob, was complimentary football, right? And after talking to both coaching staffs, that's all they talked about because both of these programs were heading in the wrong direction. Both of these programs coming off like, just like record losing on whether it's the road, whether it's at home, whether it's the Mountain West Conference, cellar dwellers, right? And so, yeah. Um, and then basically New Mexico couldn't have had a better game plan. They All the things they told us in the coaches' meetings, they did to perfection almost. And there's no such thing as perfect. Hawaii, on the other hand, started slow, which they've notoriously done now for – what, eight games in a row or whatever it is. Like, I, I don't think there's a team in the history of college football that has played worse in the first quarter than this University of Hawaii football team. And that's a team, not just the offense. So, yeah, Rob, this was really deflating. It was deafening. It was, you know, after the first game of the season, I thought there was a lot of momentum against Vanderbilt because you saw flashes in all three phases of capabilities, right? And then after last week's San Diego State game, at least you saw 427 yards, most of it, in the last 45 minutes of that football game and not much of it in the 15 minutes. So there was all this hope. You're playing a team that hasn't won at home in 20 games against Mountain West conferences. I will say this, that's a better football team than people think it was, but we look like the worst team in the Mountain West conference on all three phases and almost on every positional group is not going to be proud, including the coaches. This one had to be the longest flight ever in a lot of these young people's lives yeah rj i mean you are what you are right and uh, uh perception is reality and the fact that when you look at the mountain west conference standings there's no ifs ands and buts about it hawaii is at the bottom they're the only ones without a win here in conference this season uh your biggest takeaway from that game as the rainbow warriors are now two and six overall oh and three in the mountain west conference uh, I, I think it's just a shame. You know, it was definitely a demoralizing, disappointing loss. But I think it's just become a culmination of almost being there, of almost having it, and seeing the team be able to have the fight that they normally would to bring themselves back to get in the game. It seems like that fight was gone. It seems like that mentality was gone, that once – New Mexico was able to take that 14-0 lead, and then we had an early interception. We never bounced back from that. There was no bounce back from that. There was no comeback from that. It was almost just as if all the morale was sucked out after that second touchdown by New Mexico. So, you know, even when we did the pregame together, Rob, the one thing I said this team could not do is exactly what they did, which is have a false slow start, let a team who's pretty close to you talent-wise get ahead of you, and then you try to play catch-up. So, I mean, just the amount of mistakes. New Mexico did play a very good game, but I feel like the University of Hawaii aided a lot of that great performance to New Mexico, more than New Mexico just being able to have a dominant performance. New Mexico played a great game, no mistake about it, but I feel like the University of Hawaii did a lot more to help that dominant performance that was put on by New Mexico than to stop it. 
let's go over some of the numbers real quick from this 42 to 21 loss to New Mexico by the University of Hawaii quarterback Braden Shager. Rough outing, 33 of 52. He does go for 345 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. He was sacked twice. The Hawaii rushing game still unable to get any traction on the terrain. And that's been all season long. But again, against New Mexico, you had 15 ball carriers total for a net of 58 yards, uh, along of 14, which was by Solo Vaipulu, who goes for two carries, 17 yards. Uh, Receiving-wise, Stephen McBride entered the game ranked 14th in the nation with 626 yards receiving and six touchdowns. He goes five catches, 75 yards, and two scores. He has a long of 52, uh, so he has a solid outing as far as what he is asked to do. Jonah Pinoke, five catches, 53 yards. Jalen Walthall, two catches, 48 yards. Alex Perry has five catches, 48 yards. Kuali Nishigaya, four catches for 40 yards. But, uh, you know, I think when it comes to Kuali Nishigaya, I think it could have been a lot more for him. And I think a lot of people watching that game saw a lot of routes underneath where Kuali could have been uh, someone that Braden Shager went to, but decided to go deeper down the field. Um, that's something we'll definitely be talking about here a little bit. And then you look at defensively, Isaiah Tufonga with a team high 12 tackles. Jalen Smith had nine tackles, but when it comes down to it, Hawaii struggled in a handful of very important categories. Turnovers is the biggest, four turnovers to zero. Hawaii now ranks 133rd in the nation. That is dead last in college football in turnover margin at minus 13 on the season. You see it time and time again. You That turnover margin might be the most important stat in football as far as when you're looking at what a team's record is, if you're trying to predict, if you if we're just showing you the turnover margin and saying, show me a good team, show me a bad team, you go to the bottom of that list uh, of that minus 13, and that's where you'll be looking at a team that uh, has a lot more losses than they have wins. And, and then also, uh, as far as uh, rushing goes, uh, New Mexico runs for 227 yards in that ball game, and, and that's you just can't have that. All right, so we got a lot to talk about, offense and defense specifically, but let's start offensively. Rich, what can you pinpoint as far as what happened in this game? Obviously, they got off to another slow start, but really throughout the game, you saw an uncomfortable Braden Shager. You saw a frustrated Braden Shager. What seemed to be the deal up in the desert? Well, you mentioned a lot of statistical things, Rob, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Besides the score, the most important thing, to most people that understand football is the turnover margin. And when you have four turnovers, I think it was three interceptions and one fumble. When you have no running game, when you have a quarterback that wasn't as accurate in the second half, he, I thought he played fairly well in the first half. Um, but, and, and it's, it's not all his fault. You got to understand this. And, and I don't you know as a former coach, I don't want to blame the coaches, but at the same time, some of those deep balls that you're just talking about when Kuali Nishigai is underneath and maybe the check down's open or whatever else, I'm not so sure that some of the play calling couldn't be better in terms of attacking the middle of the field, tunnel screens, bubble screens, smoke throws, hitches, all those other things. Uh, with the speed you have at wide receiver, the short game should be available uh, on a consistent basis as well. So I, I did think they tried to go vertical too much. And some of that's Braden's fault, probably, but some of that's probably Timmy Chang's fault as well. Um, receivers quitting on footballs. You know, some of those interceptions were not Braden Shager's fault, although he had some throws that could have been intercepted as well that were dropped. So he didn't play uh, his guess best game by any chance. But, man, when you talk about sometimes the protection was good, sometimes it broke down a little bit, sometimes the backs were poor uh, protection. But, Rob, I don't know a team in the NCAA, the NFL, maybe even in high school football that has a the worst running game in the conference or their league or the whole NCAA, and that is really successful just throwing the ball and putting that onus on the quarterback. Um, so if you don't run the ball, if your quarterback's not accurate, if your receivers are quitting on uh, balls, so to speak, there's a lot of things that, we're not good about this offense. And then there were some things you saw, again, flashes of brilliance. Stephen McBride, I thought, played well. That post throw in the third quarter, if that thing's completed, now it's a two-score game instead of three-score game. And that was a heck of a throw. Braden Shager made some throws, and I want to point this out. 
in that game, the back corner of the end zone throws where he was responsible for a guy blitzing that hit him in the face continuously. Mike Tyson would be proud of Braden Shaker's toughness to get off the turf because I don't know if there's any quarterback that's taken more abuse in the NCAA than that guy. And so I don't know where we go from here, Rob, but uh, offensively, nearly not good enough. We talked about Braden Shaker's toughness from the beginning of the season. That is very evident. And uh, you brought it up, Rich, uh, as far as the running game goes for the University of Hawaii. I don't know if you're speaking in uh, a generality of, of just what you've seen, but Hawaii actually is the worst running offense in the country, ranking 133rd in that category as well at just 58 yards per game. And so, RJ, as a former offensive lineman, fully understanding that when you cannot run the football, that puts your quarterback at risk for a lot of things, right? I mean, for the defense being able to cheat a little bit, for the defense to be able to run certain defenses that that eliminates a quarterback's opportunity to succeed. When you hear that stat of, of Hawaii ranking dead last in, in the running at 133rd in the country, you know, there's one thing at run and shoot offense, like, hey, you don't need to run the ball. I mean, that's what the run and shoot offense is, but fact of the matter is in order for the run and shoot offense to work there needs to be a little bit of run in that shoot right most definitely and i mean if you just talk we talk about it you know in uh a lot of detail with you know miles bam bam reed and uh dayton Faruta and freddie holly and you know those running backs you had in the last successful run and shoot era but in all the run and shoot eras that have been you've had the nady lowers and you know other various running backs that have been able to make success out of it. Now, as far as the running game goes, to me, and this is just me personally, and, you know, being that you guys actually saw me play, you actually covered my games, you could understand that this is not something I'm just talking about. It's a want to, to go out there and actually enforce your will or enforce your running game on another defense. If I came up to the line and I saw five in the box, with three safeties floating 15 yards off the ball and two corners, I would tell the coach or quarterback, we are going to run the ball. Rewind to Nevada 2016. That's exactly what I did. The defensive end wanted to get around me so bad, I'm telling the coach that we got this backside inside zone. Diasmi hits gaps like nobody we've ever had. Let's take advantage of it. 200 yards later, and God knows how many scores later, we're beating Nevada handedly. They come back you know, to make it like a 35-17 game or whatever it was. But that was a decision that was made by an offensive lineman that the offensive lineman coach agreed with, that the offensive head coach that was downstairs told the coordinator, hey, my right tackle saying we need to run the ball. Let's run the pill. There has to be a want to when you walk up to the line and the box is man on man, meaning you have five in the box. They're only rushing three. They're only bringing two linebackers. We should be able to get a hat on a hat and move these guys wherever they want to go enough to where we can pull some of these safeties forward, enough to where you have to respect the box, enough to where you can't blanket somebody with an arm like Braden Shager. But at the same time, there does have to be play calling. There does have to be drilling. There does have to be a practice of it. Solo by Pulu doesn't have that many carries, but Solo by Pulu's a running back. So if you're going to put him back there, he needs to know how to carry the ball. He needs to get some more hands. He needs to get some more touches. If guys are going down because of injury, it's football. Next guy up. It's literally the mentality and mantra of every football team there's ever been. So if you're only stuck with Solo by Pulu and Landon Sims, you have to figure out a way to make it work. And there has to be a want to from the players. There has to be a, a, a constructive want to from the coaches to actually – Get it working because it's one thing to just say, go out there, make the runs work versus actually teaching the blocking schemes, actually teaching your running backs how to carry the ball, how to have a five points of contact, how to run through contact, go north and south, not east and west. There has to be an actual passion about putting together a running game, even when you have a heavy passing game. So I think there has to be, you know, just some sort of fire behind getting that back into this run and shoot. You have a quarterback with a big cannon. You got wide receivers that can get open if they get the one-on-ones. That's great. But as you've seen with New Mexico, they will drop five 
have one guy somewhere intermediate send five guys up and they're stopping the run. That is almost inexcusable. And to be 133rd pretty much means you're letting the rest of the NCAA know that you're a part of the worst offensive line and the worst running game in the country. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter. You put that now statistically through these seven or eight games to show that we have not only a bad and non-existent running game, we have the worst running game there is. Yeah, and it's a that's a tough pill to swallow. And you know, Rich, obviously stats don't tell everything, but you know, you know that when when you're coaching, if you're handed the box score, there are certain statistics that you look at right away, or certain categories that you look at right away. That you know, not maybe some yardage doesn't tell all the stories, but third down conversions, I'm sure you look at that. Okay, how how is this team in third down conversion? They go one for ten against New Mexico. Uh, okay, how's this team in turnovers and, and, and turnover margin? Uh, our takeaways and their their takeaways. Well, four takeaways for New Mexico, zero for Hawaii, and, and then rushing yards where they get outgained by over two hundred yards. I mean that. I mean it. It's just blaring. The the things that you cannot be deficient at is what are the biggest deficiencies for this UH football team. And I've already mentioned this, but just throwing in there. Um, Hawaii ranks dead last in the country through eight games here uh, in running uh, the football, uh, 133rd in turnover margin, 133rd and in third down conversions, 116th in the country as far as their percentage goes. Um, so obviously uh, a lot of work needs to be done on, on the offense. And uh, there has been flashes of positive signs that, Hey, okay. There's some, there's a heartbeat there within this offense. You saw it against San Diego state. But then you have this game against New Mexico and, you know, it kind of takes the the three steps back after taking two steps forward. And um, it's definitely a frustrating situation for anyone that watches this football team here throughout the course of the season. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. As far as the yardage given up, I, I think that the biggest thing that stood out to me defensively in that game uh, without getting statistical, without getting uh, into the yardage and what happened is just that, New Mexico goes six possessions before they punt, six true possessions before they're forced to punt. And obviously some of that are is is quick possessions where Hawaii only has the ball for a couple of minutes and then the, the defense is back on the field. But, Rich, what stood out to you the most as far as why the defense struggled in this game and, and why New Mexico was able to just march down the field consistently throughout that ball game? Yeah, Rob, um, I, I had it actually a seven, but you're probably more accurate than me in terms of not only did they not have to punt, but they scored touchdowns. They averaged almost 10 yards a carry. I remember just those graphics from the Spectrum uh, broadcast with Canoa and I going like eight plays, 80 yards, touchdown. Seven plays, 70 yards, touchdown. It was almost like uh, you were practicing against the seconds, and they weren't really allowed to really stunt. Uh, they weren't allowed to you know, uh, go at the highest level because you wanted the offense to have success. So the word is embarrassed, you know, in terms of from every player, every coach of that performance, right? So you talk, you talked about the zero turnovers. The reason why is one is we give it away too much on offense, but two is we don't take it away on defense. I don't know how many games we've had zero turnovers, but here was another one, right? One sack, four tackles for losses, one pass broke up in two quarterback hurries, and I think it was 74 plays or 69 plays, whatever it was. Those are embarrassing stats. And that means you're not attacking. That, that means you're not physical. And so as RJ mentioned with the offense, the offensive line, whatever else, the running game, how that is a kind of a direct reflection of, you know, uh, who you are. Because Timmy Chang said this the best. You're either teaching it or you're allowing it to happen. But when you're more than halfway through the season and you have these type of statistics, it's really sad. Um, so, again, I, I think the coaches are all embarrassed. I think the players are all embarrassed. Um, I, the only guy that I think probably played well when you turn on the film is Isaiah Tufan. That seemed like he was all over the damn field. Sometimes he was getting run over a little bit, not run over, but getting dragged a little bit. But you need help. He needs help. The linebackers need help. Um, talk to Jacob Euro, you know, and he's telling me that it's a 50% pressure type of defense where they're bringing five and not four and stuff like that. It just doesn't show up on film. Or at least it doesn't show up in my eyes. And I don't get to watch the all 22 from above. I don't get to watch the sidelines, but I 
do feel like this defense does not attack enough. I do feel like it doesn't tackle well enough. And I do feel like it's not athletic enough. And I've talked to them about all of these things. And again, it's we are who we are. We're not going to the waiver wire. We're not going to the transfer portal. We just got to continue to get better and take this thing personal. All right. So with that being said, RJ, uh, you know, with Rich saying we are who we are, meaning that there's no way to to, to bring in new players in the middle of the season. And, and really, for that matter, um, it, it wouldn't be smart to bring in new coaches, so to speak, although Dan Morrison did kind of join the staff a little bit uh, as a consultant. Um, but you're not going to make any changes right now at this point of the season as far as, oh, let's bring in, uh, you know, a new way of thinking uh, in the middle of the season. So with all that being said, what can the University of Hawaii do moving forward? Because what's in the past is in the past. You know that at this point, they're two and six on the season. They have five games remaining. They need to win all five to clinch a postseason spot. They need to win at least four to 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 leave the door open for even just backdooring themselves into the postseason. But that conversation is so far away that it's not even worth having at this point. It's game by game to this point. How can you become a better team for this next game that you're playing? And how do they get that done, RJ? Um, you, you, you got to look yourself in the mirror. I mean, I, I remember before every game, I used to actually do that right before kickoff. I would go stare in a mirror, like actually literally stare in the mirror at myself in the eyes until I got a little wink of fear of myself. The reason I would do that is because I would have to convince myself even though I was only 280 pounds and six foot three playing division one offensive tackle, I could go play it against whoever I lined up against Joey Bosa. I went to Michigan. I can get it done. And when it got to the point where I was a leader, 2016, most inspirational, that's why, because now not only am I telling myself that I'm telling the guys around me, Hey, we can get this done. We can win some games. We got ballers. We got the coaches was on the same level. Hey, we can get it done. Chris Naole listens to nobody. I told him one time we need to run the ball to Nevada. That is the quickest I've ever seen him agree to anything in all the years I've ever asked him anything. I actually wanted to do it. They actually wanted to listen. For these players and these coaches, you have to evaluate what you are doing and why you are there. Yeah, you might be a part of the 133rd Division One football team. Take the 133rd part out. What are you? You're a Division One football team. How many players do we all individually know that would love to go suit up for Hawaii in high school, past, in junior college? How many guys do we know that would love to go be co uh, coaches on that stat? I mean, I'm pretty sure Rich would love to be a coach on there. I know people would love to have Rich as a coach there. I would. If they came and was like, RJ Hollis, can you help get the offensive lineman right, the defensive lineman right, be a graduate assistant? Yeah. I'd be on that staff. Why? Because I want to be there. So when I go there, I'm going to make sure I give everything I got, every single snap, every single game. So for the guys that are going to put on that helmet to go to practice, why are you doing it? If you're just here just to say you're a part of a Division One football team and get a couple profile pictures and do some little, you know, swaggy stuff on social media and have everybody liking you, bro, get that to somebody else. If you're a coach that's just here, to fill a void, to get you to the next spot, quit and go to that next spot. But you are here. You are a part of the 2023 University of Hawaii football team. What are you going to do about it? Why are you even coming if it's not to perform at your best? And the only reason this is my approach is because we've all seen this team with no mistakes. We've all seen this team when the offense is clicking, when the defense is playing. It is not. 42 to 14 in New Mexico. I know the final score was 21, but you got that third touchdown when there was eight seconds left in the game. That is not the talent that this team has, even with injury. But when you allow yourself to go through the motions of practice, when you allow yourself to let everything be all hunky-dory and oh, to just take care of itself and we don't need no height, we don't need to come out and get fast, we don't need to demand excellence from ourselves or from our players, this is what you're going to get. So to me, Everybody needs to find a mirror, not, oh, I'm not talking, you know, uh, like I usually do, we you know, analogies. I'm saying actually, actually find a mirror 
look at it, and ask yourself, who are you and what can you do to help this team get better? And if you're not going to do what you're telling yourself you're going to do, then you need to relinquish your scholarship, you need to relinquish your coaching position, or you need to relinquish whatever it is that you have and give it to somebody that's going to want to go get it done. You know what, Rob? I was hoping RJ's way too serious because normally he'd be start singing Man in the Mirror, but, man, I like his passion. I like his enthusiasm. But um, to me, Rob, as a former coach player, and, you know, RJ did a great job, there's only two options for this football team, right? And I'm an old-school guy, so it's toughness, fundamentals, details. Make it uncomfortable for everyone in the room, players and coaches, in the practice field, in the meeting rooms, in the weight rooms, et cetera. Or you can go the other way, right? The other way is like throw out the film and act like it was an anomaly. This team, players and their coaches right now, to me, are very, very fragile, both physically and mentally. But guess what? I'm old school, bro. And to me, they need a motivator. As RJ mentioned, they need a tough guy. And I'm not sure who the leaders on this football team are, but from a coaching standpoint, I would turn this over to Chris Brown because I think there needs to be way more lions and less sheep. And you know what? Somebody needs to motivate this football team. And I watched him motivate the linebackers week in and week. Guys would run through a wall for that guy. That's why they want to play for the University of Hawaii. They all want to be like Chris Brown because he's a tough guy. You can't play the sport if you ain't a tough guy. Like RJ said, go on social media, go to practice every day. Hopefully you get some chicks. Hopefully you're popular or whatever else. But you know what? You ain't a football player if you ain't ready to roll. If you ain't hitting people in practice, you ain't hitting people in the game, and you ain't a violent person. This is what it this is what it takes. And that's not a violent running game. That's not a violent defense. They ain't violent on special teams. And you know what? Whew, that mirror needs to be where the whole team and the coaching staff, like one of them mirrors that are like it looks like you're inside the sphere. Yeah. Yeah. It, it needs to be one of those uh those mirrors that you walk in uh at, at a carnival, at right? Carnival. And it makes makes you yeah. bigger and meaner and it makes you this and that. And the other thing is scares the beans out of you and all that. So maybe, maybe that's what they need to do. Send them to EK Fernandez uh, to get this thing going. But uh, Rich real quickly, before we move on over to the Hawaii football final mailbox, you, you bring up something uh, you've done this a few times and, and it's a, it's a phrase that I used in the spectrum broadcast um, on Saturday that the, the, the juice got to be worth the squeeze, Right. right. And so the hard work that you're putting in, you know, that there needs to be a payoff for you to continue to put in that hard work as a coach with your coaching experience. How difficult is a time like this eight games in being two and six, you're, you're riding these guys at practice. You're, you're riding them in the, in the meeting room and you've had moments where this team can believe that, Hey, we can win football games. We can do this. We can do that. But then you wake up one day and this team is two and six and one loss away from from uh, some of the, the goals that you put out in front of you at the beginning of the season withering away. How difficult of a time is this for a coach? Yeah, Rob, and, and I was going to talk to you about this because I know you'll remember, but we had back-to-back -back losses in the June Jones era, uh, close to 70 to six and maybe 62 to 14 or whatever else. And I think it was uh, Fresno State and Boise State on consecutive weeks. And then we went on to beat, I think it was Northwestern Idaho and some other really good football team three in a row. We were at the lowest point that you could possibly be in. We were fragile because we had just got beat by two Mountain West, at that time, I think, WAC schools that were good schools, but we just got dominated in every phase where it was embarrassment. And, you know, so again, there's two things you can do. You can either go old school and really work these guys and understand the importance of, you know, like toughness, as we just mentioned, whatever else, or you can say it's an anomaly, throw the film out. We're not that bad. But to me, this team has to continue to work fundamentals, has to work toughness, has to work one-on-ones, has to work on just, uh, believing in each other and believing in the coaches and who are the leaders who's stepping up in the meeting room, telling the coaches, get out, get out, get out. Let me handle this. And that's what you need. And unfortunately, as good as Braden Shager is from a talent standpoint, I don't think he has that type of persona. I think he's has built, I think he's built up some leadership abilities, but I don't know, you know, and then Logan Taylor's hurt, but there's gotta be some local boys. There's gotta be some polys that just cannot continue to watch this happen under their watch. I don't yeah, care if you're a freshman or senior. 
That that 2004 season you're talking about, 70 to 14 loss uh, at Fresno State, 69 to three loss against Boise State, and then ended the season needing to win all three, beat Idaho, Northwestern, and Michigan State in order to get into the Hawaii Bowl, where the Rainbow Warriors or Warriors at the time beat UAB uh, in order to end that on a super high note. And remember that same 04 season started the season with a loss to Florida Atlantic. Right. And, and, and that you thought that maybe even at that moment that that kind of set the win out of the sails, because this was a big year for Hawaii. Timmy Chang was getting Heisman hype heading into his senior year where there was a Heisman campaign for possibly because you knew that he was going to be passing uh, the all time passing yardage mark for a career in Ty Detmer. And, and then in game number one loses to Florida Atlantic, who just became an FBS program at that time. And so uh, definitely a, a frustrating time. But like you said, there was a way to find the footing and to be able to end the season in the right way. All right, we're, we're going to move to the Hawaii football final mailbox and uh, much mahalo to everyone who sent in their questions. We majority of the questions came in uh, through the email. So rdemelo at khon2.com if you want to send in a question, but then you could also find me on Twitter uh, or now known as X at Rob DeMello K-H-O-N or on Instagram at Rob DeMello. And the first question comes from Alex um, and kind of on uh, on brand right here. How historic of a loss was this? Was this the worst loss ever? Speaking of a 42 to 21 loss to New Mexico, I think um, that what jumps out to a lot of people is what we were talking about with the streaks, right? New Mexico having lost 20 straight uh, conference home games, having lost 14 straight in conference. Hawaii for the first time this season was favored to win a game and lost that game. And, and that's actually, you know, it's been a while since that's happened um, because there hasn't been very many times that Hawaii's been favored. But the one thing you got to remember, though, is that Hawaii was a one point favorite. They opened as two point underdogs. So, I mean, it's not like they were 14. So to me, worst loss in program history means you were supposed to win that game by 28 and then you ended up losing the game, right? Not you were supposed to win by one point and ended up losing on the road. This is a bad loss. But I, I mean, to me personally, I think the worst loss that I can remember seeing was the year 2000 opening a season against an FCS Portland State team. And not only did you lose, but got pounded 45 to 20. I mean, that's a pretty much the same close to the same margin of losing this New Mexico game. But that was against a Division One double A opponent in a sellout at Aloha Stadium to me. To answer Alex's question, that's the worst loss that I can remember. Uh, Rich, RJ, you guys have uh, your thoughts. Uh, was this the worst loss that you can think of? Yeah, let me go first as I got a fresh thought on that, Rob. And, you know, I'm so one of the things I'm proud about is I don't bet football. And I don't think anybody out there should bet football. Because prior to this game, when you looked at 0-20 and 20 in home uh, losses against Mountain West Conference opponents, you think, how can they lose at home? Nobody does that. How can they have a 14-game losing streak? This is a horrible program. Then as you started to do a little bit of work in terms of what we do as broadcasters, you realize that they came down to the last possession against Wyoming. They were winning at halftime against San Jose State, and they got embarrassed in the second half. And you could see the embarrassment as I talked to the head coach, the offensive coordinator, defense coach. They talked about toughness. They talked about culture. They talked about this has been their best week of practice. If I was a betting man, I would have bet Hawaii three days prior, two days prior, until I met with all those coaches, watched more film, and recognized the sense of urgency. And then I would be like, you know what? I'm taking that money off the table. These guys are ready to play. The quarterback's ready to play his best game. They're going to wipe out that third quarter woes that they had similar to our first quarter woes. This is a much better football team than people give them credit. I don't think Hawaii's going to win this game unless they play really well. So in terms of answering your question, this is the worst loss in Timmy Chang's tenure because it was a must win in terms of, like you mentioned, potentially winning the conference, not winning the conference, but going to a bowl game. Yeah, it's still there mathematically, but you got to play Air Force. Good luck with that one. It's, you know, there's some other things, the goals that are still out there, whatever else. But I wanted this Rainbow Warrior team to win on the road so they can enjoy it together. As I mentioned, the plane rides, the bus rides, I say planes, trains, and automobiles, the subway sandwiches taste a lot better. When you went on the road, you get to enjoy it with the people that enjoy it the most, and that's your teammates and your coaches. So for them to not continue to win on the road against the opponent that I think was beatable if you play well, this one hurt, Rob. This one hurt everybody. 
RJ? Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't say program history either. I'd agree with Rich as far as it being the worst loss in Timmy Chang's tenure. Uh, I was a part of a 2015 team, I believe. Went up 17-0 to Nevada on the road, lost that game. And I don't think Nevada was winning much that year. But uh, it was pretty bad, though. I still think it was pretty bad because two reasons. One, the final score, I think, tricks people into what it really was. That was a 42-14 to 14 game. UH scored with, like, six or seven seconds left. And I think just with Timmy Chang being the player that he was prior to becoming a coach, I think the 427 yards that Braden Shager put up the prior week, I think the offensive line not giving up five sacks a game anymore, that kind of led you to believe that the team was righting a lot of those wrongs. And New Mexico kind of puts you right back into the thought process of, oh, here we go again. All right, uh, Hapa Hawaiian has this question. Does UH looking as bad as they do make it less likely that they keep their recruiting class together? Why would Micah Alejado come to Hawaii? Uh, Micah Alejado, uh, for anyone that's listening that that is not aware of who that is, that's the Bishop Gorman quarterback that is verbally committed to the University of Hawaii. He is currently quarterbacking the number one team in the country. He was the max preps junior of the year last season, uh, an award that was previously won by Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, a, a handful of others. Uh, now, uh, according to Max Preps, is one of the leading candidates for the, the National Player of the Year yet again. And so uh, definitely would be, I think, from a publication standpoint, from a resume standpoint, uh, who knows how many stars he gets because uh, I did a story with Greg Biggins from 24-7 who kind of explained that, you know, that the star rating is an NFL projection. And so the guys that are getting five stars mean that that they're viewed as NFL quarterbacks or NFL offensive linemen or whatever it is. And that's kind of what that star rating means. Uh, Mike Alejado uh, being under six feet tall probably doesn't get up to a five-star based on projection goes, but when it comes to being a high school quarterback, I don't know if there's anyone better out there in the nation. Um, so that's who Micah Alejado is. Again, verbally committed to the University of Hawaii. Hapa Hawaiian is asking, does the losing by the University of Hawaii here this season make it less likely that he comes? My quick answer is, I mean, if I'm Micah Alejado, the more they lose, the more it's likely that I might be given a legitimate chance to starting at quarterback for the University of Hawaii, right? I mean, it, you can't come off of a season where you're possibly 2-11, and 3-10, and, and and then all positions are, are not up for grabs, right? I mean, the, there needs to be some kind of progression. Not saying that Braden Shaker doesn't deserve to be the quarterback, but you have to imagine that all positions are up for competition. And so if you're any of these recruits, whether you're Micah Alejado or the 13th guy on the board uh, for this recruiting class, there's an opportunity to play when you're joining a team like the University of Hawaii. But that's just my thought. I don't know if I'm being naive or not. Rich, uh, I'm going to let you go first on this. Yeah, Rob, I don't think it helps to lose uh, this many games and play this poorly when you're recruiting a Bishop, Bishop Gorman guys and a quarterback who is one of the best high school quarterbacks in the nation. And all they do, Rob, at Bishop Gorman is win, 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 no matter what, what, what. And that's a song, but winners want to play for winners, Rob. And if you're interested in going to a team because you have a better chance to play because they're not very good, you're not a winner anyway. So we got to pray for Chris Brown to be that point person. And that's the reason why we got the three Bishop Gorman guys that can all play this past year. That's the reason if we get the three Bishop Gorman guys that can play next year. And, and I sound like I'm patronizing Chris Brown on this broadcast, but trust me when I tell you, if it wasn't for Chris Brown, we wouldn't have got the guys last year. And hopefully, you know, we can get the guys this year because those guys are a good football player. And Micah may not start next year, but if Braden Shager finally did get hurt, guess what? You know that this guy is the real deal. And he, people that think because he's 5'9", Noah Fafitz is 5'9". Kyler Murray's 5'9". This guy can spin it, trust me. Anyone who is listening to this right now, 
who is down on the University of Hawaii football team after seeing that New Mexico loss and thinking that it's not possible for the Rainbow Warriors to finish strong or anything like that, keep in mind that anything is possible because I just heard it. The fact that Rich Miano pulls out a DJ Khaled song and not <laughs> RJ Hollis, right? Hey. It, I mean, that is the upset of the century. The, that OG the first, turned into the new G. <laughs> I he can't did. believe it. <laughs> OG turned into the new G. Um, For me, I think only because I follow Micah Alejado since he's committed, I think he's 10 toes down, 11 toes down. I think he was a guy that was highly overlooked, knew the type of potential he had. UH was one of those first schools to give him a shot. So that was kind of how my situation was where, you know, a couple schools started calling after I committed, but there was no break in my mind that I was going to stick with the University of Hawaii. Obviously, I'm not junior Max Preps player of the year starting quarterback for Bishop Gorman talent, but, you know, it's the mentality of a team believes that you're going to stick with them. However, I will say this. Because I have seen with my own two eyes the speed at which offers duplicate. And what I mean by that is a coach might be watching Micah now from a Florida State, a Michigan State, uh, 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 Syracuse, uh, uh, Oregon State, and not offering him because they know as soon as they do, everybody's going to follow them. If Micah keeps playing the way that he's playing, and I have no reason to believe that he's not, my only concern would be that the school that offers him that last minute gives him something that the University of Hawaii cannot. And make no mistake about it, I do not think Mike is the type of kid to get nervous to play anywhere. I feel like if he gets the opportunity to go to a Oklahoma, to be like a Kyler Murray, to compete now that Dylan Gabriel's leaving and they got another stud young quarterback but might need another guy, I do believe that that could be a potential. Do I think it's going to happen? Not 100% positive, but in this era of NIL, in this era of social media, in this era of coaches always trying to find that next diamond in the rough, my biggest concern would be that he wins National Player of the Year this year and a school that UH just cannot keep up with decides they want to take a chance on him. Yeah, anything's possible, man. We'll see what happens uh, in that regard. And uh, we're just a couple of months away. Uh, the, the the earliest that players can sign is December and that first signing period. And uh, so I'm sure that uh, the University of Hawaii will have a pen mailed to Las Vegas and say, all right, use this one and do this uh, right at midnight, bro. Uh, let's get this thing done. Yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, so, all right, uh, Hawaii football final mailbox continues. Darrow from IAEA asking stadium, team, Coaching, name one category that the UH football program is not the worst in. It's uh, it's coming from Daryl from IAS. So obviously, uh, uh, stadium team coaching, name one category that UH football program is not the worst in. Rich Miano. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of get to it as I go on my diatribe. But, but Rob, we also are the only uh, Division One team in America that's no longer has a grass football field, too. So. Um, and, and I don't want to sound like this is the most pressing issue in the state of Hawaii, especially considering Maui, but make no mistake about this, Rob, we're on the brink of potentially being the worst program in the FBS. And my question is, does anyone care? And I'm talking about the governor, Josh Green, the president, David Lassner, the former AD, David Matlin, the new AD, Craig Angelus. And this is not Timmy Chang or his coach's fault. Timmy was picked to do this unimaginable tough job. And where are the leaders? And that's what I'm saying is we got to continue to have some patience with Coach Chang. And as he continues to try to recruit and rebuild this team that we all seem to forget, lost 19 good football players only two years ago, has no stadium, has no grass practice field now, has probably the worst facilities. I just went to New Mexico and I saw their $4 million addition and talked about the new stadium improvements and everything else. And as I continue to go to every Mountain West school, it hurts my heart to know that the private sector, the public sector, the governor, the legislature, the senator, all of these people don't care until we lose that program and then we can't fund the Wahine programs as much as we help now and have a great athletic program for our children, all because of poor leadership or 
people that are complicit or just don't know or don't care. RJ Hollis, your thoughts on this? And and I think a better, not a better way, I, I take that away um, from Daryl's uh, question, but uh, another way asking that is what can the University of Hawaii hang their hat on? Loyal fan base. I mean, that's probably, I mean, between Rolo leaving, losing the stadium, the turmoil with Ty Graham, Timmy Chang coming in, not winning many games. Now he's still not winning many games. If you're still listening to this podcast at this point in time, you are an example of what I'm talking about of the things that aren't the worst. Because if you're still listening, you're obviously a loyal fan. If you're hearing this, you know, live and not via social media where Rob posted, that's that's probably one thing uh, UH can hang its hat on. But that being said, with what Rich is saying, I agree wholeheartedly. And more than that, we will start to lose that last thing we could hang our hat on, which is having a loyal fan base, having fans that, you know, the road warriors that love to go to games, the Lao Lao heads and the Wayne Coitos and the, and the Kavei Keys of the world that are just true blue University of Hawaii football fans. I think if we continue performances like this, you will push the loyalty of these fans to the absolute brim and you will start losing foundational super fans, which every college football team needs fans like that, you know, to keep the fanatics coming and to help guide some of the fair weather fans when they show up. But with the way things are going with the stadium, with the leadership, with Timmy Chang, with the losses, with Aloha Stadium not being demolished yet to know who's going to build it up or what it's going to look like. I think it's just adding all these problems, having all of these statistical problems being ranked so bad and everything. I think if it continues like this, then you might start to see some fans that have been around for decades uh, giving up their Saturdays to to go into the beach now instead of coming to TC Ching to watch a game. Yeah, and the the one thing I'll add is is that obviously the University of Hawaii football team is struggling from a win loss standpoint, and I think the one thing that I I would remind people is that you got to remember why Timmy Chang is here in the first place, right? The reason why. Timmy Chang is the head coach. The reason why this young guy with not a lot of experience uh, from a coordinating standpoint and, you know, why this person was put into this position was because of the most important issue that was happening within this team. And that, that there was a huge disconnect between the program and the fan base, a huge disconnect in the community and a miserable locker room. As far as players being unhappy, I'd say that when it comes to those three things, the University of Hawaii is back where it needs to be. And that's because of Timmy Chang. I mean, and I'm not being an apologist here. I'm not saying like, hey, forget about the wins and losses and only focus on this. That's not it at all, because you got to win football games. And and truth being told, I mean, as the 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 schedule goes on and next year goes on. If those wins don't happen, Timmy Chang will not be the head coach for long, right? I mean, because you need to win. But I'll say this. I mean, if the question is, what is UH good at right now? It's that it, by all accounts, this is a a team that gets along, a team that's respectful, a team that does good things in the community. It's a team that has re-enter the community and you know you see them at events you see these players and coaches taking part in events within the community and and putting themselves out there and and doing things that aren't just for the moment but are for later in the year and for years down the road and that's that was lost I mean that was not happening and that's something that Timmy Chang can be proud of I hope he is I hope others are proud of him for what he was able to do. And I, and I think his wife, Sherry deserves a lot of credit for that. I think the boosters that they do have that, that, that are around the program. And I know there aren't many um, as far as that money booster standpoint, but the ones that have put themselves around the program and put themselves around the Chang family and the brotherhood quote unquote, um, I think they're doing an awesome job from that standpoint. Now you need wins and losses, but I mean, that you again, you have to remember why Timmy Chang is here 
that's why he's here and he has done that. And that is important because if, if you don't clean that up, then definitely there's no football program moving forward, right? And that's, I mean, and that goes beyond what happens in between the lines. Yeah, Robin, yeah. I want to um, second that motion uh, only because, you know, I feel like I've played here, I've coached here, I've broadcasted here, I've been around this program as long as probably anybody now that some of my mentors have passed away, unfortunately. And I agree with that. I, I do not blame almost any of this. Sure, there could be better play calling, there could be a better potential structure of this coaching staff, which I think Timmy Chang is aware of. I'm sure that there could be some better um, things that, you know, Timmy's going to continue to learn from. But yeah, I don't fault Timmy Chang for the, the demise of this program or the downward trajectory. Um, uh, I, I think Timmy Chang is, is a bleeds green like we do. He's very passionate and he's going to get it. And it may take some time, but uh, we can't give up on that guy because this team does like each other. They do play for each other. They do believe in the coaches. And you know what? A lot to be said for this taking this job. Yeah, and I just wanted to add Nicole. Uh, you you touched on it, Rob. The foot the boosters, if you giving a dollar, I don't care if it's a dollar a month, if you're still donating, if you're still donating time or anything towards the University of Hawaii, that is another thing they can hang their hat on. Uh definitely a big help having boosters in Nicole and having the fans that remain loyal. Right on. Well, yeah, I wanna say uh you know, I feel like Jimmy Kimmel, right, after every show where he's like, oh, sorry, we didn't have time for Matt Damon, right? Uh, Hawaii Sports Forever sent in awesome questions. Uh, we weren't able to get to it, but the good thing about the questions that that he sent over, I should say he or she, I, I don't know who Hawaii Sports Forever is, um, uh, but the questions uh, are evergreen. They don't go away. Uh, I, I think no matter if it's oh, a winner. I, I want to answer the fastest warrior question, bro. I've done some deep deep research on this okay okay well well um all right let, let's well let's save it let's save it for next week okay okay i and you know what i'm gonna let anyone listening that uh, one of the questions because there's actually about five questions that was sent in by hawaii sports forever that are asking about the the best warrior at this in these categories and so the first one i was going to ask the guys was the fastest who's the fastest uh football player um that that you can remember and so tune in next week because we'll get to that and we're just running out of time here this week and i didn't want to short change that answer uh so we got to move on over though uh to our helmet stickers the way we end the show here on hawaii football final rj i'm gonna let you go first as far as your helmet sticker to anyone anyone within the uh football community uh for this past week um oh peter manuma I, I got to give mine to Peter Maduma. There was a few plays I was watching where he was involved in plays that weren't his responsibility. He was trying to communicate. He tried to keep the passion. You know, he wasn't playing the perfect game, but for that dude to be a young buck, the maturity he plays with and, you know, some of the plays he made and watching him communicate and just uh, control the defense, uh, mine's just going to go to number one. I got to give it to Maduma. Rich Miano. I'm going to give it to... Uh, I'm going to go with Isaiah Tufunga. I, I do think that guy, 12 tackles, I mean, golly, you know, he's all over the field. He's hustling. He's ble bleeding, sweating. And he, he, to me, I'm giving it to Isaiah Tufunga. All right. I'm giving my helmet sticker. Uh, and it's no one that played in the game and uh, no one really a part of the University of Hawaii football team, but supporters of the program, Neil Everett, Larry Beal, who came back to the islands last week to host the University of Hawaii basketball tip-off. They were there for the charity game against St. Mary's uh, with all benefits going to Maui relief efforts. Uh, but, you know, even though that was a basketball event, uh, there were guys that while they were here were very vocal about the UH football team and about the importance of the UH football team and the support of the UH football team. Larry Beal, I know, having conversations with the legislatures uh, while he was here trying to help uh, facilitate some of those conversations and some of that help for the program, fully understanding how desperately in need the Rainbow Warrior football team is in that regard. And, and you know, and even taking a step back, uh, just public figures like Neil and Larry who, you know, moved away from Hawaii, their profession took them in other places, right? Both ended up at ESPN, Neil, for 23 years, 
uh, Larry there for, I think, five or six years and then ended up going back to San Francisco, where he's still currently a news and sports anchor in that Bay Area market. But, you know, they are vocal about the University of Hawaii year round. Now, Larry's on social media and you can see that you can, you know, see all of his tweets and all of his posts about his love for UH and uh, celebrating them when they win and being frustrated when they lose. Uh, Neil does it off of social media, but I'm around him enough to know that the dude is constantly banging on the drum uh, for the Rainbow Warriors. And I just think that's so important, man. Like there aren't that many people that are in the public eye that that are from Hawaii, that that are still in Hawaii, that benefited from UH football and from UH athletics growing up or whether it's being a former player and being able to go and play in the NFL or, or whatever it is that you just don't see the, the, the conversations or even the, the, the celebration of the program when they're not winning. And I think that is, that is something that needs to change as far as like, you know, if, if you have someone that people look up to or people are interested in what they have to say, and that person is celebrating Hawaii in one way or the other, even if it's not like, oh, wow, look, this team's doing great, but it's it's wearing a University of Hawaii something and, you know, or, or it's reposting UH athletics or whatever it is. I just think that that's severely lacking, right? And and um, and I get it, man. Like, you know, no, no one wants to associate themselves with a team that's not winning and I get that, but, you know, it, I also grew up in a place that, is so prideful about where they are from and, and Hawaii being different than everybody else. And it just seems like one of those things that, you know, when, when Hawaii isn't winning, then everyone just, just, you know, backs off and doesn't want to be associated with them. And and I think now's the time more than ever that, that people just need to help, man. People need to, to, to create a conversation and, and just, just represent Hawaii, even though that they're not winning. And Neil Everett and Larry Beal are, are two guys that are doing that at a time that it's not cool to be Hawaii fans. Yeah, yeah, Rob. And, and, and this is not a myopic discussion about University of Hawaii football. When I talk, it may sound like that because it's football-based. But when the football program does well, when you build a performance center, it's not for the football team. It's for the 500 student-athletes from 21 or 19 sports, whatever University of Hawaii has. It's for the Wahine. It's for everybody. When football wins and brings in money, everybody benefits for this. So the whole state benefits from this. So it's not just the football thing. It's a University of Hawaii pride thing, state of Hawaii pride thing. And that's why I love when Larry Bale, and I've been around him many times, Neil Everett, for those guys with their platforms to continue to support this program. There's other guys like Isaac Sapawanga, who always wears his H everywhere he goes, whatever else, and has so much pride. There's people on the mainland, Marco Johnson. There's a whole bunch of people that love this program. And maybe it's not cool to right now, but as RJ alluded to earlier, it's necessary to continue to support Timmy Chang in this football program. RJ, anything you want to add before we get on on out of here? Uh, yeah, I mean, just basically echoing off of, you know, what you guys said. And I'm wearing this 2016 Hawaii Bowl shirt during this podcast because I wanted to just, you know, it's got to mean more, not just to the players, not just to the coaches. That's obvious. They're paid to do it. They get scholarships to do it. But, you know, to the fans, to the state, to the young boys that's, you know, coming up through OIA or ILH, I mean, there's got to be a true love and a true want to to be involved to help to I'm not from here. I'm not from Hawaii. I'm, you know, uh, but a speck in the history of Hawaii football. But at the same time, I make it evidently clear that my love for my university ain't going nowhere. And if anybody got a problem with anything I say, hey, you can talk to me about it. We can talk about it, but it's going to be in the form of how can we support? How can you help? How can you make things better? So, um, yeah, man, just the the love's got to be there. And, you know, like you said, Rob, I, I believe this is a state that has a lot of prideful communities. My wife went to Kahuku. So I've seen what a community can do when it truly gets behind something. And it's always kind of been the envious, you know, catch 22 that every time I go to North Shore, I'm watching that community do its thing. And then when you get back to the University of Hawaii's community, even when they were going to the Mount West Championship and Rolo had that little glimmer of success, 
it was, you know, in my opinion, not what it should have been. And, you know, I, I just think that there has to be more people that find that love again. I've only been here 10 years, so there has to be somebody that has more memories than I do, that has more appreciation than I do. So, you know, just for the people that are still listening, you're one of those people. Just find a way to fight harder, to love it more, to enjoy it more, because at the end of the day, when it's gone, everybody's going to miss it. Absolutely. Well, it's not going to get any easier from here on the football field as Hawaii will take on San Jose State on Saturday. That's at 6 p.m. at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. The game will be televised on Spectrum Sports Pay-Per-View, which means Game On will start at 5.15. R.J. Hollis will be there. Rich Miano will be there. I will be there. So check it out if you're not headed down to the stadium. But go down to the stadium if you're able to uh, support these University of Hawaii football players. And, uh, of course, next week we'll be talking about win, lose, or draw. Whatever happens in the game, Shevin Cordero's homecoming because that's definitely going to be a big talking point this week as he comes back with San Jose State. But much mahalo, everybody, for supporting Hawaii Football Final. Thanks for listening. And, uh, as always, we'll be back here every Monday morning at 8.08 a.m. at khon2.com or anywhere you download podcasts. For RJ Hollis, Rich Miano, I'm Rob DeMello. Have a great week, everybody. Aloha.